Well, have you ever been given just one task to do? Perhaps you were tagged with one thing to accomplish or one dish to bring for this year's Thanksgiving dinner or one thing to make or one thing to bring to a Christmas party or maybe one task to accomplish for a group science project. I can remember shortly after Ashley and I were married, we volunteered to bring breakfast for our Sunday school class. And on this particular Sunday, not only were we charged with bringing breakfast for the class, but I was also uh, supposed to teach the class that Sunday. And lesson number one, never agree to more than you can handle. When breakfast that morning took a bit longer than we anticipated, we flew into the church parking lot about 20 minutes too late. Lesson number two, if you're baking multiple things in the oven, it may take significantly longer than it does just one item. You all look like you already know that, and I don't doubt that at all. But we were charged with just two tasks that morning, to provide breakfast and to provide a lesson, and we nearly failed at both of them. But this morning, we see from God's Word, from John chapter 1, uh, we see somebody that was charged, called to a particular task, a specific task, and fortunately for us, he recognized that task and carried it out faithfully. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1 as we continue our Advent message series this morning that Ben began for us last Sunday. John chapter 1. John is about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John chapter 1. And from God's Word this morning, I believe that we will see the arrival of Jesus is reason for testifying and rejoicing. The arrival of Jesus is reason for testifying and for rejoicing. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. We're not told anything else really about this particular man right here in John chapter 1. This this guy whose name was John that was sent from God. And it would be natural to think that perhaps this was the same John that that wrote John's gospel, this book that we're looking at, but, but it wasn't. The other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, make clear that this John was John the Baptist. Another John. A John that was sent to testify concerning that light. 
And this is the same light that, that we saw from last week in verses 4 and 5. Was the one who possessed the light of men. The same one. The same one who possessed the light of men. This is, this is the one, the word, whom Ben clearly poured, pointed out last Sunday, is Jesus. This is the same one that in John chapter 8, verse 12, told his listeners, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the one that, that John, John the Baptist, was called and commissioned by God to proclaim was coming into the world. Now we know from Scripture, and I think this will become more clear as we move forward, but we know that a number of people have been called to bear witness to that one, that light, to Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But John had a specific calling, a unique calling to proclaim the arrival of Jesus. And we see a truth from this passage this morning and the rest of Scripture that God has sent and continues to send witnesses to the light of the world. God has sent and continues to send witnesses, people to testify to this light of the world. This was John's task. He was called, he was set apart, he was charged to go and to announce the arrival of this light. To announce the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God in this world. And as a witness to that one, and we're told very clearly in verses 7 and 8 twice that, that John was a witness to that one. As a witness to that one, his task was to, to give some evidence that this person was indeed who Scripture claims that he is. That he was indeed the Son of God and Savior of the world. He was called to announce the arrival of God in the flesh. God coming to us. To proclaim that his ministry had begun. And that's what we see John the Baptist doing throughout the New Testament Gospels. At the beginning of, of each of the Gospels. Announcing that Jesus is now on the scene. But we know from scripture that even though that was something John was assigned to do, called to do. He's not the only one who was called to bear witness to Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 4, we read the account of Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. And he tells her that, that he can give her living water so that she'll never thirst again. Talking about eternal life, salvation by his grace. And after that account in John chapter 4, verse 39, we, we read that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Turn to the very next chapter, John chapter 5, where we, we read Jesus' words about a number of other very important witnesses to his identity. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Jesus said, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, 
And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Talking about this same John the Baptist that we read about in John chapter 1, verse 36. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So not only did John the Baptist testify or bear witness to Jesus. The Samaritan woman was a witness to Jesus. The very works that Jesus did were a witness to his identity. God the Father was a witness to this Savior, Jesus. And the scriptures, here referring to the Old Testament word of God, was also and is also a witness to the identity of Jesus Christ. And we read in John chapter 11, the account of Jesus going and raising Lazarus from the dead. And in the very next chapter, John chapter 12, we we see that the crowds who had witnessed that miracle continued to spread the word about Jesus, testifying about him. And at the end of John chapter 15, Jesus tells his listeners, tells his followers that another will come after him, a counselor, the Holy Spirit will come after him and bear witness about him. And with that, he also tells his disciples that they too will be witnesses to him. I hope, I hope that you're seeing from God's word that not only was the identity of Jesus important to to John the Baptist, but it was important to the John that compiled this gospel as well. And you know from our time in the New Testament book of Acts that the task of bearing witness to the identity of Jesus is not just a task for a select few group of people, but it is a task for all believers, for all those that trust in Christ for salvation, for all those that follow Him and, and surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told His listeners, His followers, just before He ascended, but you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be a witness here in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that is what people are called to do. That's what the people of God are called to do, just like John the Baptist, to be a witness to the light of the world. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be a witness to that one, to the Son of God, the the Savior who's come to us, the one whom we celebrate in the Christmas season? What is the function of those witnesses? The function of these witnesses is to point people to faith in Jesus. The function of these witnesses is to point people to faith in Jesus. Just like a flashing road sign, one of those giant arrows that tells you that a lane is closed ahead and you need to get over. We as the people of God who have been called to follow God ought to, like John, point people to faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, then we are not fulfilling the task that God has called us to do. 
John the Baptist, the one that we read about in John chapter 1, recognized that task and he faithfully carried it out. Look at verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. Skip down to verse 19 of the same chapter, chapter 1. A glimpse at the ministry of this man, John, makes it evident that that's exactly what he did. He pointed others to faith in Jesus. Verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Christ. Skip down to verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Skip down to verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look or behold the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And this is not just the witness or the ministry or the calling of, of some men and women. But this is, this is the, the testimony of the word of God as well. This is what scripture points to. And this is why John said at the very end of his gospel that, that he wrote these things down, not so that it would be a, a warm, fuzzy story to tell for years and years, not so it would make a good drama or a good Hollywood film or, or, or a nice lyric to a song. No, he wrote these things, all of these things, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So scripture itself bears witness to the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Lord And the purpose of it, just like the purpose of John the Baptist and the purpose of the Samaritan woman and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of all followers of Christ is to point people to faith in that one, to witness to him. And the reason is is because there is no other like him, no other equal to God, which is why every messenger of God is subordinate to God. Every messenger of God is subordinate to God. Now, Backing up to the verses right before this passage, notice the contrast between Jesus and this John. Jesus is the one, verse 2, who was with God in the beginning. And Jesus is the one, in verse 3, who made all things. Now we come to verse 6, and John is man who was sent by God as a witness to the light, to Christ. In other words, Jesus is the creator that always existed. Whereas John the Baptist as a witness is a creation who was sent by the creator to bear witness to the creator. Verse 8, he himself was not the light, so that through, excuse me, he himself is not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And John recognized this. He knew his role. He knew that he wasn't the one that that everybody was waiting on. He wasn't the one that could 
give his life as a ransom for the sins of the people. His job, his task as a witness was simply to bear witness to the one who could. Skip over to John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. And we see just how obvious this truth was in the mind of John the Baptist as he went about his ministry, pointing people to the Son of God and Savior of the world. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, talking about Jesus, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Listen to John's response to this. Verse 27, to this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete He must become greater. I must become less. Recognizing and encountering the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, brings great joy to the bride, the church of Christ. Recognizing and responding to who Jesus is is reason for celebration. It is reason for rejoicing. And when we realize who he is and his greatness and his splendor and his eternality as as the creator, the one who, who fashioned Oak Mountain and Double Oak Mountain and Red Mountain and Shades Mountain and Shades Valley, the one that carved out the canyons so that the rivers would flow and the one that sends rain and snow from heaven and causes the sun to rise and set and the one that formed and fashioned and knit you together in your mother's womb. When we encounter that one, we have to stand back and say, as a creature, he must become greater. We must become less. Realizing who he is, realizing who the light of the world is, is reason for rejoicing and celebration and causes great joy. And so why believe in him? Believe in him because he is the one who overcomes sin and unbelief. Jesus, the light of the world, who overcomes sin and unbelief, has arrived and will arrive again. Jesus, who overcomes sin and unbelief, has arrived and will arrive again. Look at verse 9 in John chapter 1. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now, we as 21st century Christians today have the privilege of of reading this and recognizing this reality of the incarnation of God coming to us in hindsight. 
And John is, is writing John chapter 1, his account of the Christmas story, taking a step back before the arrival of this one, before the arrival of this baby boy that we celebrate each year at Christmas. And I can't help but think there's a bit of anticipation and excitement as he thinks about the truth that is taking place there. Because the one who fashioned everything together, the one who has existed from all eternity past, the only one who is capable of saving you and saving me from our sins, was coming into the world. And Jesus Christ has come into the world. The Creator has become creation all for the purpose of laying down His life as a sacrifice for you and for me so that we might have forgiveness and restoration and salvation with our God in heaven. And that church is reason for testifying and for rejoicing. The arrival of Jesus is reason for testifying and for rejoicing. Now we're good at at rejoicing when our team wins or when a baby's born or when Santa is coming. But the arrival of the King of kings and Lord of lords, of the Savior of the world, of the Creator to this earth, all for the purpose of saving you and saving me, is the greatest reason for rejoicing. And when we recognize that truth, truly recognize that truth, I believe we cannot help but to be filled with joy at the arrival of the Savior. Jesus came to the earth to to save sinners. The Son of God, incarnate in the flesh, came to the earth to save wicked, rebellious, broken, lost sinners like you and like me so that we could be restored to a right relationship with our Father. Even now, here on this earth, and that spiritual truth is cause for great celebration. But that's not even the end of the story. The reality, according to Scripture, is that same Jesus, that same Creator, that same Lord is going to come, come again. He will arrive again on this earth and usher us as the people of God into eternity, into the presence of God to experience not only spiritual transformation, but physical restoration and eternal transformation into the presence of the King of kings, the one whose very identity and presence compels us to worship Him and to respond to Him in praise. And because that is God's plan, because that is God's sovereign and eternal plan that He planned before He even began to create, we rejoice. We rejoice in that truth. And we testify to that truth before all those in the world because they need to know that truth and especially this Christmas season. And so two, two takeaways from these truths for us to, to leave with, hopefully, today and to internalize and to respond with today. Takeaway number one, stand with other faithful witnesses by pointing others to the light. Stand with other faithful witnesses by pointing others to that light. Church, that's what we're called to do. 
We're called to come alongside others who have been faithful to the task that God has called them to be a part of, to point others to Jesus Christ. So let's do that. Let's do that boldly. Let's do that faithfully. Let's point others to to Jesus Christ this Christmas season. And takeaway number two, let's allow the arrival of Jesus to lead us to rejoicing. Allow the arrival of Jesus to lead you to rejoicing. Now, what do I mean by that? Dwell on the incarnation. Dwell on the fact that the creator became creation, a humble, lowly baby born in a manger at that, all for the purpose of restoring you and restoring me to right relationship with our Father in heaven, not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything to earn it, but because that is the kind of God that we serve. That is the only true God, the God of Scripture, a God who is loving and gracious and merciful and desires to restore us into right relationship with Him. The arrival of Jesus is reason for testifying and for rejoicing. And I believe if we recognize that truth and if we think about that truth very long, we will begin testifying and rejoicing. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for this time this morning to be with your people, to set aside a time week after week that we come with your people simply to lift praises to you, to dwell on who you are and what it is that you've done for us, and to respond to, to who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would all respond to the truths of your word this morning, however you lead us, Lord. Lord, that you would lead us and that we would be listening and that we would follow that we would surrender to you and that we would be faithful witnesses to the truth of your gospel. We would be faithful witnesses to the true story of Christmas. Lord, I also pray that, that you would cause us to be overwhelmed by the reality of you coming to us so that we might know and live for you forever. Lord, hear our praises now in Christ's name. Amen.